Thank you, Shannon. Uh, I appreciate everyone joining us today. Um, the college season starts this Friday from the Armed Force Classic in Honolulu. Uh, Jay Billis will be there, and then we'll travel to the Champions Classic in New York City, uh, both events on ESPN. Jay is entering his 22nd season at ESPN, um, so we're going to turn the call over to you, the media, for questions, and uh, Jay will answer them as best he can. We know he will. Um, up first, we have Mark Berman from the Roanoke Times, or Roanoke News, followed by John McCain from the Herald Sun. Go ahead, Mark. First time there. Uh, good afternoon, Jay. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to uh, the what you think the overall depth of the ACC will be this year, and also whether perhaps this might be the year uh, Virginia Tech ends its uh, NCAA tournament drought. Uh, it's a good question, Mark. I, I think this is going to be one of those years in the ACC where the depth uh, is sort of off the charts. I mean, you know, I played in the league when it was eight teams, and they had the round robin, and it was, you know, considered the best league in the country. I think it's the best league in the country again. Uh, but it's different now. Uh, it is um, you don't play everybody twice, so the schedules are, are a little bit different team to team. Uh, but I think what we're looking at this year is a league very much like the Big East had uh, six, seven years ago when you had 10, 11 teams that were going to the tournament. Uh, Doris Burke brought this up the other day, talking about Pittsburgh, saying that Pittsburgh is the only team in the league that has two returning all-ACC players in uh, in artists and young Jamel artists and michael young um and they're picked 12th in the league and you know that that i think that speaks to the depth of the league and there are a bunch of good returnees uh but even more so there are some uh just amazing freshman talents and this is the deepest nationwide this is the deepest most talented freshman class i've ever seen since i've been doing this now it doesn't mean that the top five players are as good this year, this year as they were in 2003 or so, you know something like that, but what it does mean is that you can you can pluck a, a player you know that's ranked from 25 to, to 35, and I'm not sure you could you could match that in years past uh, at that level. Uh, it's really an amazing amazing number. As far as Virginia Tech's concerned, they're going to be better. Um, I think it's a, a big step forward last year. And uh, but you know I, I think one of the things that's scary about this league is you can you can be very much improved and not see a big jump in your win total simply because of how good the top of the league is. And with teams one through nine um, are no-brainer NCAA tournament teams, and after that uh, it'll be a little bit more competitive getting into the field. But uh, but we're looking at the, a league that's as deep as, as any we've seen in the last uh, you know last ten years. Thank you. Great. Up next, we have John from the Herald Sun, followed by Kevin from the Topeka paper. John, go ahead. Yes, uh, you've been waiting for Candy Meeks to emerge. Is it, is it a fair thing that if a guy hadn't quite come on up to this point, that chances are he may not make that leap uh, in his senior season? Well, I mean, it, it, there's always a question mark as to how good a player is going to be uh, in, in the next season. You know, are they going to are they going to get uh, significantly better? Um, I would say that that one of the answers lies in, in Chapel Hill from last year, and that is, I don't think anybody expected Bryce Johnson to be the player that he was his senior year, uh, based upon you know his development. He, he certainly had the potential to be uh, to be a great player, but. He put everything together his senior year and was one of the five best players in the country and, and legitimate um, uh, national player of the year candidate. 
And you know, Kennedy Meeks is a different player than than Bryce, but uh, but he's very capable. And uh, and I think this year um, he's not going to have. He's going to be more of a focal point. And uh, and I think uh, if he's in really good condition. Uh, and and becomes a little more explosive around the basket to finish plays. I think he's fully capable of having a great year. He's a he's a terrific uh, terrific young man, and I think a really really good player. Uh, whether he gets to that next level, I think he's capable of it. But uh, there's nothing like uh, nothing like the urgency of being a senior that helps you get there. Thank you. Great, thank you, John. Up next we have Kevin from Topeka, followed by Fletcher Page from Louisville. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, Jay, I'm I'm sure you're eager to see Josh Jackson, but I was also curious, you know, kind of what you're going to be looking for in Kansas on Friday. Well, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be anything different than we've seen, you know, since Bill Self has been there. They're going to win the Big 12, and they're going to be one of the top teams in the country and have a chance to win the whole thing. It's a little bit of a different Kansas team than we, we're used to because it's not uh, inside-oriented first. Uh, and necessarily going to play inside out. I think they'll have some times where they play a smaller lineup and can can go you know sort of small ball where they spread uh, where they will uh, spread the floor and take driving opportunities. Um, and, but their guards are really good and experienced. Uh, you know Frank Mason, Devonte Graham are, are two of the best guards in the country and two point guards that play really well together. And then Jackson gives them. Uh, some incredible versatility. And I haven't seen him in practice yet, but I'm told he's shooting the ball better than they expected. So, and that's, that was the knock on him coming out of high school is he could do everything but shoot. And uh, if he's, if he's making perimeter shots, he makes it, makes him that much more of a threat, but a lot of, a lot's going to be determined for, for Kansas on how their inside guys come along. And uh, the primary guy I think that has to play really well is Carlton Bragg. Um, if he can, if he can play, you know, 25 minutes a game at a high level, um, you know, you're looking at a, you're looking at another championship contender in my judgment. Are you off that, Kevin? Yes. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, great. Thank you. Up, up next, we have Fletcher from the Louisville Courier, uh, followed by Andrew from the Daily Progress. Fletcher, go ahead. Hey, Jay, I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Kentucky playing maybe with another three-guard set this year, but maybe how it will look different compared to the way they went, went with three guards last year. It seems like the guards might be um, a little bit more, um, maybe be able to play in a style that's more up-tempo. Just wanted to get your thoughts on maybe how the lineup will look this year. Yeah, Kentucky's deeper, and uh, and their guards are um, a little bit more explosive. Like early on in the season last year, I thought that, that uh, Kentucky was going to be able to really attack the basket, and it turned out that they were not as capable of doing that uh, in one measure because they weren't a, a great shooting team. And, um, uh, you know, obviously Jamal Murray could shoot it and Tyler Ulyss could make, a, make an open shot, but uh, it wasn't, you know, Isaiah Briscoe, you could lay off of him, and uh, you're not going to be able to lay off uh, uh, this year's team quite as much. And, uh, and I think they're going to be really explosive in transition, um, but a much deeper team, and they'll be, I think they'll be better defensively. Uh, Darren Fox is a – I mean, he's a great defender and has a chance to be one of the elite defenders in the country. Uh, so I, I think scoring you – know, what did they put up, 160 points yesterday in their exhibition? I don't think scoring is going to be a problem. I think the uh, you know the the main thing, especially with the young team, is going to be defense. You know, can they play uh, high level defense without fouling? Can they protect the rim? Can they limit opponents to one shot uh, consistently? Uh, I, I think they're capable of that. Um, you know, this is 
outside of Duke, this is the most talented team in the country, just from from pure you know pure basketball talent. It's just young talent, and um, anytime you have youth uh, at that level, and Kentucky's seen it both ways. Kentucky's seen uh, youth that is sort of ready to go, and then youth you have to wait on. And uh, and I'm not sure where you know where this team shakes out just yet. Great. All set, Fletcher? Yeah, thank you. Thank okay. you. Up next is Andrew from the Daily Progress, followed by Matt from the Lawrence Journal World. Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, Jay, just wanted to get your thoughts on Virginia, a team that loses the ACC Player of the Year and Anthony Gill, but is still preseason top ten. What's the biggest question mark for you with them? Is it where they find that scoring with Brogdon gone? How do you evaluate Virginia heading into the year? Well, I think Virginia is going to be really good just because of of the you know their their coaching situation. They got a, a great coach, and uh, there's quality talent there. So you've got guys that are coming back that played big roles last year, and you know number one is London Prentice. Like Prentice is one of the best shooters in the country. I really didn't get credit for it. Um, and then uh, and then I think a guy you know Austin Nichols is going to have to have a great year. I know he's been suspended and all that, but. Uh, he's going to have to be a go-to a go-to player uh, for Virginia, where he can he can produce. But other guys that have played limited roles in the past are going to have to step forward. Whether it's uh, you know Darius Thompson coming back, Mario Shyak, those guys have to have to be more um, more productive, and they're going to have to they're going to have to defend at a high level um, because that's really. That's really what that team has. Uh, what, what separated Virginia is their ability with their pack line defense, their ability to get stops and to uh, to be disruptive and to be difficult to score upon. Because their margin, usually their margin uh, is not that great. You know, it's not like a team that's going to put up put up a ton of points. Although they've been very very good offensively, they're a little more deliberate. Uh, so you know, a, a blowout for Virginia is when they beat you by 12. But, uh, but they consistently beat everybody. They've, they've been as consistently good as anybody in the league over the last five years. And just one follow-up. You've sure. now been here a couple times at, at John Paul Jones Arena for game day. This is a place where they went undefeated at home last year. You played at Old U Hall. What are your impressions of how this new place maybe – has been an advantage for them, and, and, and have they adapted to kind of Coach Bennett's style? It gets really loud for defense, which you don't see like a lot in a lot of arenas. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're used to the way the fans react to the way they play. They know, you know, they know what is important to, uh, to Virginia and the way that they play, so they cheer for that. Um, I, I, look, I, I, I love the atmosphere. I think that, that John Paul Jones Arena is, if not the best new on-campus arena, it's, it's in the top five. Uh, so I love that place. I think it's beautiful, and uh, it's a great venue for basketball. As far as helping the team win, I tend to think that's done by the players. Um, that uh, you know nobody ever walks into a press conference and, after a loss and says, you know, our crowd just wasn't any good tonight. Um, it's on. It's on the players, and uh, that's what you know. And I know I played a million years ago, but that that's what um, what made the difference when you went on the road is the the players you had to play against because. University Hall was pretty damn intimidating when Ralph Sampson was there. You know, when they when they had teams later on that weren't quite as good, uh, that that building didn't do much for them. And uh, and the same could be said for for Cameron Indoor Stadium or Allen Fieldhouse or, or all of them. 
the, the crowd seems louder when the players are better, and the atmosphere seems more difficult when the players are better. Thanks. Great. Up next, we have Matt from the Lawrence Journal World, followed by Jerry from Lexington Herald. Matt, go ahead. Thank you. Hey, Jay, I, I was just wondering, you know, if you're talking about Okinawa or Hawaii or whatever the case may be, uh, because of the distance and, and the time that these games happen in the season, how much stock do you personally put in how these teams play uh, in, in these types of events, in, in these games like Champions Classic and, and the Armed Forces Classic and all those things? And, and then just to kind of follow that, what do you think of the KU-Indiana uh, matchup? You know, I think it. I think it. Uh, you have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, there are times when the travel can make things really difficult, and maybe a team doesn't perform at its optimum level. Uh, and there are other times where you see a team play unbelievably well early in the season, and then they fall off later on. And the flip side of that too, you see a team that doesn't perform as well, and then they kind of get their their act together, and they're really good. Indiana's a good uh, example of that. Indiana last year got uh, uh, lost early on in, in Maui, and then they got their doors blown off in the ACC Big Ten, and then they won the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, a lot of people had them dead and buried uh, before we got to December, um, and it clearly wasn't, wasn't uh, the case. But I think those things happen in every sport. Uh, it happens in football where a team will lose a game early. They obviously don't have as many games, but they lose a game early or, or two, and all of a sudden, you know, at the end of the year, they're one of the best teams in the country. So, and vice versa, where a team looks great early on, and you know, they fall off and they turn out, not, you know, not to be as good as maybe expected. So, I think the thing that makes it harder to gauge is a lot of these teams uh, have they're relying on on freshmen, and uh, you know, our game is such now that uh, uh, the quality of you know the overall quality of the, the landscape is is oftentimes determined by the quality of the freshman class. And that's one of the reasons, I mean, there are a number of reasons, but that's one of the reasons I'm more excited for this year than I have been in maybe several years past, uh, and that is we've got an unbelievable level of talent in the freshman class this year that, that's, that's coming into to college basketball. And their names might not be known yet, but when people see them, they're going to be blown away by how good these players are and, uh, and how ready they are. Um, so, you know, I've never seen a class this deep with with, with quality talent. Uh, so and it's spread around pretty good. I mean, there are a ton of players. There, you know, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, uh, UCLA. You know, the 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 rich got richer. Certainly, uh, Michigan State. I throw in there. Um, but uh, uh, there are some really good freshmen spread around too that are a little further down the food chain. Sure, and, and just. Can you talk about the KU-IU matchup real quick? What are you, yeah. what are you looking for there? Um, you know, I've seen Indiana play their exhibition games and, and uh, watched a little bit of tape of, uh, of Kansas. Uh, Kansas looked a lot better um, in their, uh, their last exhibition than they did in their first. Um, but I think Indiana, you know, the, the thing you have to deal with when you play Indiana is uh, the speed of their, uh, their offense, that they get the ball up and down the court really quickly. And, uh, and they keep the floor spread. They're a very good passing and cutting team. Uh, I don't think that Indiana can afford to turn it over against, uh, against Kansas. The thing where Kansas has got, an, uh, I think, a major advantage is with the uh, experience of their guards. Uh, you know, they bring back Devontae Graham, Frank Mason. I'm not sure who's got more, more uh, experienced guards, two-point guards in the backcourt. And you mentioned, you know, Josh Jackson's a, a star. And uh, – so they've, it's a, a tremendous amount of talent going to be on the floor in that, that Kansas-Indiana game. And to have, um, you know, those two 
know, powerhouse college basketball brands squaring off against each other will be uh, will be incredible. Great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Up next is Jerry, followed by Matt from the Washington Post. Jerry, go ahead. Jay, you mentioned uh, Kentucky's exhibition game last night, 156 to 63. They they had over uh, 100 points from the paint. And my question is, uh, what does a team get out of something like that? Is that is so uh, different from the quote unquote normal basketball you see? Uh, frankly, Jerry, they get nothing out of it. It's it's kind of a useless exercise, honestly. Um, it's uh, it's like saying, what does a player get out of playing pickup games against you know with, with the regular students? And the answer is nothing. You get an opportunity to get hurt. That's pretty much it. And you know, I've advocated for a long time that. The NCAA ought to let let these schools play real games, and uh, and you know everybody complains that the the little guy doesn't get as many shots against the big guy. Well, you know instead of giving these teams these exhibition games that accomplish nothing other than make them money um, and be a part of their season ticket package, I would advocate that let the teams play real games, but you have to play a mid-major school within 100 miles of your school. And so you could bring somebody in that would not otherwise get a chance to play against you. All these schools are getting squeezed for um, scheduling because they're playing more conference games, uh, and so it's harder to schedule non-conference games. The, the amount of energy that's expended by the players in these games does not change one iota. So the, the preparation that Kentucky's players had to put in to play uh, uh, the, their exhibition games against teams they're going to beat by, you know, they almost won that game by 100 points. I mean, that's... Yeah, they were ahead by 100 in the yeah, second half. That's, that's ridiculous. And and so years ago, you know, they used to play... the uh, Kentucky would have been playing the Soviet national team or, uh, you know, something like that. And, but, you know, we need to adapt to the times now. And instead of bringing somebody in and just giving them a waxing and sending them home like that, uh, my sense is that it would be better to to play somebody uh, that's that's relatively local that you could really do something for, um, because like I said, they they went through the same scouting, they watched the same film, they took the same amount of time in preparation. There was no difference in playing that game or playing Arkansas as far as how much time was expended. So why not allow the players? Uh, why not allow the schools to play a real game that that they're going to get something out of? And that you could uh, you could allow Kentucky or Duke or whatever teams we're talking about to play some teams within their you know sort of geographical area that they would not otherwise get an opportunity to play. And uh, I think it's the right thing to do. Um, you know they're playing these scrimmages anyway, so it's not like travel is a problem. Uh, you know you, my son plays for Wake Forest. They traveled uh, to play Maryland. You know they went up to Richmond to play Maryland. And uh, in one of these these quote unquote secret scrimmages, and I don't see I don't see the point in uh, in in you know it's not like they're trying to save Division One travel they're traveling anyway, so uh, you know let them play a real game. And you mentioned the uh, ACC having you know, one through nine no brainer NCAA bid teams. What about the SEC? How do you uh, size that league up? Yeah, I think the SEC will be better this year. Um, you know, they've got some uh, – obviously, Kentucky is the best team by far, um, or it should be the best team by far talent-wise. But I think Florida will be much improved in a, an NCAA tournament team. Even though Texas A&M lost, um, uh, lost a, a great point guard, or actually two great point guards uh, in the same year, um, they're going to they're gonna be good again. 
Uh, and I think Georgia's an NCAA tournament team again. Uh, the question is what, whether, you know, who's going to jump in behind, whether it's going to be a team like Arkansas and, and they can wind up, you know, you want, or Vanderbilt or Alabama, and you wind up with five, maybe six NCAA tournament teams coming from that conference. Um, uh, you know, the SEC is improving. Um, it's, not, it's not quite there yet. And, uh, and it's, you know, with Kentucky being separated, and they're separated, um, it makes it harder. You know, the, the other teams in the league have to be able to beat Kentucky to, to sort of prove to the committee they're legit. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Up next, we have Matt from the Washington Post, followed by Bruce from the Arizona Daily Star. Matt, go ahead. Hi, Jay. Uh, with regards to players like OG and Anobi and uh, more and more teams sort of featuring these lineups that have that are stocked with hybrid players, guys who can play not one or two but three positions, how much have you seen the growth of this positional versatility um, across the high major landscape? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's just the way the game has gone generally, that the NBA is doing it and they have done it for some time now where you have players that are more versatile. I mean, you know, that with, with, with the way basketball is being played now with the three-point line being valued so much and the game really going towards spacing and opening up the middle um, to where you can, you can get up more, one, get up more threes, but the other part of it is you can get more uh, drives to the basket. Um, more teams are making use of transition to get a quicker shot in transition, and also they're making use of the width of the court. And uh, so when you have guys that can guard in space, like you mentioned O.G. Ananobi from, uh, from Indiana, you know, he can guard multiple positions. You can put him on a point guard. You can put him on a four-man. Uh, and with his ability and his length to cover ground and then take away a shot and take away a drive, that's, that's all great and stuff you talk about with, uh, with young players and work on you know, closeout drills. But not many of the guys that can do that. There aren't that many guys that can do that. He can do that. So you've got to have a combination of uh, speed and athleticism and um, uh, you know mobility. Uh, so having those guys that can do that is incredibly valuable. And uh, and then one thing that Ananobi has done uh, is he's shooting the ball now. Uh, I watched him play uh, recently, and uh, he has really become a, a, a capable shooter to where he can make five you know five threes in a game, and that that stretches out a defense and makes it easier to attack and. You know, we talk about spacing a lot, and rightfully so. It's important. But, you know, an offense can space out all it wants to. If they can't shoot, the defense won't go with them. The key is can you stretch the defense, not so much can you space your offense. If you stretch your defense, uh, stretch the defense, then you've, you've really got some cutting opportunities, driving opportunities. Uh, and I think Indiana does as good a job of that as anybody with their, uh, uh, with their offense. They're really a, a fabulous offense to watch. One quick follow-up. Uh, sure. Do players are, are players just working on this more in the summer, becoming more versatile across stack categories, or is this something that coaches are just prizing more, taking guys that can do a little bit of everything and then working to develop that? Yeah, I, I'm not sure how to answer that question. That's a really good question. I think I think it is my 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 sense from being around a lot of high school players is the game has changed and it's being taught a little bit differently, a little bit better. And instead of having the old standard, and especially in college, of having the old standard when practice would break down into drills, you know, it was commonplace to hear this in practice. The coach would blow the whistle and say, all right, big guys down here, guards down here, and they would do different kind of drill work. Um, that's not happening as much anymore, so you've got players doing everything. You've got big guys you know, handling the ball more. 
you've got guards that are going down uh, into the post and they're expected to have to play post defense. And uh, you got guys that are having to guard multiple positions and they're working on that more. Uh, so players' skill levels are way advanced now from what they were 20 years ago. Uh, you've got more players that can handle the ball, can pass it. Uh, and with the way I think the NBA has gone, um, you're, seeing, you're seeing quick decisions and, and quick play uh, rewarded and emphasized now. Uh, teams getting the ball up, not as many teams walking the ball up court, um, you know, trying to get uh, an open three in transition. Uh, and, and a lot of coaches feel the same way I do, frankly, is that, that get the ball up court quickly. If you can get an open three in transition, why, why run 20 seconds of offense to get the same shot you can get right away uh, where you're stepping into it and you, you're playing in a, a situation where you're not having to run off 100 screens and all that. You can get it quickly and, and more efficiently. Uh, I think you're seeing that a lot more. Great. Thanks so much, Jay. Up next is Bruce from Arizona, Daily Star, followed by Kevin from Land of Ten. Uh, Bruce, go ahead. Yeah, hi, Jay. I was wondering about the the, the Arizona-Michigan uh, State matchup on Friday, and I know both teams have, you know, some transition issues and things they're going through, uh, but I was curious, particularly, of course, about Arizona and what your thought, on, thought is on, on what they're going through. Yeah, I think Arizona is going to be better in a lot of ways this year uh, relative to last year because they've got so many, uh, you know, they're so much more athletic uh, defensively. So I think they'll be able to really uh, defend at a higher level, uh, and they've got more guys that can get out and really pressure the ball and impact the ball. Obviously, losing Ray Smith uh, hurts. Uh, I know he didn't play last year, but that hurts a lot. Uh, because you're taking away an NBA-caliber athlete, um, and I, I feel awful for the kid. Um, and then they need Alonzo Trier back for scoring. But, uh, uh, you know, that's a, I, don't, I don't know exactly where that stands. I haven't heard anything uh, recently uh, about his status. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing Lowry Markkinen uh, play. Uh, he, he performs so well internationally, and, uh, you know he's an he's an NBA caliber talent as well, but uh, you, you know you never know exactly how freshmen are going to perform. Uh, but they're playing against a team in Michigan State that is uh, a little bit different this year relative to last year. Um, they got Aaron Harris back, who could wind up leading the team in scoring. Uh, but they've also got some uh, some outstanding, and then also Tom Tom Nairn is back, who was injured. Um, but they've also got some, uh, you know, some outstanding freshman talent. Nick Ward is, is, is much better than I think a lot of people think, and he's ready to come in and play at a high level. And Miles Bridges, yeah, he had 33 points in their first exhibition. Uh, I think he only missed two shots out of 16 uh, and was, was magnificent in his debut. And, um, you know, you don't see many guys do that, you know, their first, first game in a college uniform. But Michigan State's going to be smaller. You know, Gavin Schilling hasn't been cleared to play. They lost Ben Carter. I don't know if if he'll be back at all, let alone when. So they, they lost two big guys that would have been starters uh, for them. Uh, and so that, that puts them in a position of having to play smaller uh, against Arizona. Well, just following up on Trier, interesting. They've chosen here not to say anything about it, not categorizing it. They won't even say if he's practicing or if he's going to go to Hawaii. And I'm just curious, with your background legally, if, uh, you know, there could be a due process issue, it could be FERPA, I, I don't know. And I'm just wondering, you know, your thought on that. Is that, is that, is that normal, that that kind of thing might happen? It's certainly not normal. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I can't think of a lot of other instances where you were not told anything when there's been a, a player that's, that hasn't played. 
uh, or, or, or and again, I'm not sure what his practice situation is either. Uh, but I know he didn't play in their their exhibition game, um, and uh, so I don't I don't know exactly what the issue is. There are a lot of rumors flying around. Uh, it may be a student privacy issue, uh, so I don't know I don't know that either. Uh, but th- those are the only you know that's re- the only thing I can think of is where where the coach you know wants to keep it internal, or it's a it's a student privacy issue. Uh, other than that, I can't think of I can't think of anything else that that would be uh, would be a reason behind it. Okay, thanks. Up next is Kevin with Land of Ten, followed by Bob from uh, 24-7 Sports in Florida. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Hey, Jay. Uh, you just touched on Michigan State, and you touched on the, the number of freshmen across the country this year. This is going to be new for Tom Izzo. He said, you know, everybody in this class, this four-freshman-player uh, class, is going to play, and he, he expects them to be big contributors from a coaching standpoint, what's his biggest challenge in melding this? Because this is something new for him. Yeah, I think anytime you've got so many young players, it's it's teaching your, you know, teaching your system and your way of playing, uh, and then having to play while you're doing it. Because when you got so many guys that haven't been, I don't know what the right term is, indoctrinated or experienced in your system, um, you're having you're constantly having to to teach. And, you know, that's where a lot is going to fall on the older guys in drill work and all that in the locker room to, to let guys know, hey, this is how we do it. And because uh, oftentimes what younger players do, they're in the back of the line and they see how the older guys do it. Uh, and that's one of the things Izzo says all the time, a, a player coach team is better than a coach coach team. And, and I think that's one of the, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons he says that is because uh, it's a lot harder to have a, a player coach team when you've got younger players. They don't know how to talk. When they do talk, they don't know what to say. Um, and uh, oftentimes, you know, they uh, they might be a little bit behind because they're trying to think their way through everything instead of instinctively reacting to, to what they see. But um, they've got a ton of talent there, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, Josh Lankford, Cassius Winston, all these guys. And then, uh, Matt McQuaid's back healthy, so they've got they've got a lot of talent. It, they just don't have a ton of big guys. Excuse me, and, and he's always had he's always had big guys he could rely upon. Uh, so they're going to have to play. I would think they're going to have to play a little bit differently and, and play a little bit smaller, and you know, go toward uh, some of the things we've seen where you might have bridges at the four, something like that, uh, where where he would normally be a three man. You'd have a couple guys inside. Uh, you're probably going to have he's probably going to be playing more four round one. Quick follow-up, it's just on, the, on the Big Ten itself, um, is there a clear-cut favorite, or is there just a bunch of teams that are all going to be that, there in that mix? That's a good question. I mean, I, I, I tend to think that the Big Ten does not have as many kind of uh, uh, superstar players. They've got a, a, ton of, a ton of stud freshmen, but it's not like they've got as many superstar returnees um, as maybe they've had in past years. Uh, the top guys I can think of off the top of my head, I've put Nigel Hayes of, of Wisconsin and Thomas Bryant up there on the returnee side. Um, well, you put Mello Trimble up there too, I would. Um, uh, but, you know, I think it's going to be Wisconsin up at the top side. I think it's between Wisconsin, Indiana, and, uh, and Michigan State for the top spot uh, with, you know, Purdue could sneak in there as well. Um, but, uh, those three, I don't think there's anybody that would be the no-brainer 
top pick. Like I thought Michigan State was the best team last year. They they wound up not winning the league, but they were I thought they were the best team. And uh uh but you know, this year I think Michigan will be better than they were last year. I think Ohio State will be much better than they were last year. So I think the league will be much improved. I think Illinois will be a lot better uh being healthy. So the league will be much improved. Um but I'm not sure that there's a sort of a runaway favorite in the league that gives you a a top 5 team. I don't I don't see any any team Wisconsin would probably be the best team going going in to me uh, going into uh, uh, the season. All right, thank you. Great. Up next we have Bob from uh, Twenty Seven Sports of Florida, followed by Larry from Vaughtsview. Uh, Bob, go ahead. Jay, thanks again for the time. Curious about your thoughts on uh, Florida State sophomore Dwayne Bacon, his decision to come back, and and what he might offer the team this year. Well, Bacon's a really talented player, and uh, you know, as far as coming back is concerned, um, you know, I think sometimes you know people get too not not you now, but but sometimes people get you know really wrapped up in you know the kid had to come back or something like that. I mean, he could have gone last year and could have gone to uh, to the NBA draft, but you know, it's not just a question of being ready to be drafted. He would have been taken, but you know, are you ready for a career? And, uh, and are you ready to, to commit to being a pro? And so for him to come back, I think, uh, speaks well of him, you know, in his maturity level. Um, it doesn't mean he wasn't good enough. I think he, he was good enough to go, or talented enough, I should say. But, uh, but maybe he you know, wasn't prepared for, you know, taking that step. Um, you know, but Florida State's got real talent this year. And uh, they had it last year, and I thought they would perform at a higher level, honestly, but they didn't. Uh, but uh, uh, Xavier Tan Mays is back. Uh, Terrence Mann is back, and he's really talented. Bacon, you mentioned, and they got the kid Jonathan Isaac coming in. So they've got a lot of talent. Uh, I think the question is, are they going to defend at a higher level? Um, because that's where that's where Florida State's always been its best is when they've been really good defensively. And last year they were not really good defensively. And uh, I think that's got to be a, a difference for them and a, a point of differentiation from, you know, last year's team. Uh, can they, you know, can they be better as a, uh, a defensive team and getting stops and, and all that stuff? I think they're fully capable of it with the uh, the level of talent they got. Uh, uh, they have got, but, but I mean, last year they, they were they were in the they were outside the top 50 in, in defense. And uh, and I, I was that, that was kind of surprising. You know, they lost, they must have lost how many games did they lose? Fifteen, sixteen games. Um, so uh, defense is a big part of that. And just to follow up, if they do play better defensively, you think they end the uh, the tournament drought? Yeah, yeah. I think that's the difference. You know, like last year, I thought they were, you know, they're. Their offense was better than their defense, and uh, and that's not been a consistent refrain under Leonard. Usually, you know, you'd say, well, you, their defense is a given. You know, they can stop people. Can they score at a higher level? Or can they score more efficiently? Last year, their their offense was better than their defense, and uh, and you know that that didn't that didn't spell a, a really successful run. Now they played in a, a, an incredibly difficult league, but uh, uh, you know nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> Nobody's interested in that. They they want to know. Yeah, you, know, you can't be expected to do well in the tournament if you if you can't get in. Thanks again. Thanks, Bob. Up next, we have Larry from Vots View, followed by Scott uh, from Topeka Capital Journal. Larry, go ahead. Good afternoon, Jay. Well, with all the talk about Kentucky's guard play, how do you see Kentucky's interior play shaping up and being different this year? 
Um, it'll be different from this year that I think they've got more guys that are um, you know, sort of alpha dog types. I mean, Bam Adebayo is one of the hardest playing big guys you're going to see. And so he can, you know, he, he, he's a beast as far as, as going after the ball and, uh, you know, his work on the backboards and, and all that. Um, outside of that, they've got guys that are kind of unproven. And, uh, and so they've had some of that. Wendian Gabriel's a really good player. Um, uh, he's not, you know, he's not a, the same type of player that they've had in the past that can block, you know, three, four shots a game, stuff like that. Uh, and, and then they've got guys coming back like Humphreys and Winyard um, uh, that they're, they're going to have to protect the rim, in other words. Like, I, I don't know what kind of shot blocking they're having every day in practice, but it's not the same type of a team they had two years ago where, um, you know, playing against Kentucky in 2015 was like trying to throw a Frisbee through the forest. I mean, you're, you're going to get batted down. And, uh, and I don't know that they've got that this year, but they're, uh, they're so talented and they've got so many pieces that as long as everybody stays healthy, they're going to be able to throw a lot of, a lot of bodies at you and ultimately wear you down. And you were talking about a guy that could have gone to the NBA, but when they hit him, came back. What impact do you think that kind of learning experience might have for Isaiah Briscoe this year at Kentucky? I think it'll be really helpful. Um, you know, anytime you're a year older, you've been through it. Um, it it's really helpful, and uh, it just gives you a sharper focus. And a lot of times, players make their biggest jump in their careers between their freshman and sophomore years. That's not always true, but sometimes, you know, oftentimes that's true. Um, and, you know, Isaiah's only issue last year, well, he had a really good year, and uh, he played really well, really good defender. He's one of the best guard rebounders in the country. Um, the only thing he didn't do was shoot it, and, uh, and that impacted his game. I mean, early on, people figured out, like, he's not going to take these shots, and they started laying off him and, and uh, taking away his drives and then clogging everything up for others and kind of daring him to shoot. And uh, I don't, I don't think they'll be doing that quite as much this year. He's improved in that regard. Um, so, uh, so I, I expect him to. And, and leadership's going to be a big deal for him. But I, I expect he'll have a, a, a really good year. Thank you. Up next, we have Scott, followed by Paul Banks from the Chicago Tribune Red Eye. Scott, go ahead. Hey Jay, uh, I know you talked about the cave guards a bit already, but I wanted to ask. Uh, back at Big 12 Media Day, Bruce Weber called Mason and Graham probably the best backcourt in the country. I'm just curious if you share that assessment, and if not, who you would have up there. Who I would have up is the best is the best backcourt. Yes. Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, Kentucky's would be up there. It's really good. Duke's backcourt is excellent. Um, there, there are a whole bunch of them up there. But I, I would I would agree with Bruce. Like if you put if you look at Kansas's backcourt with. Uh, with Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, you've got guys that are very, very good players. They're both point guards, both good passers, both good shooters, uh, capable drivers, uh, and solid defenders. Uh, you combine the fact that they've they've got talent with the fact that they're they've got high level experience and they played a ton of minutes together and a ton of minutes generally. Um, neither one of them were highly, you know, they weren't like the the McDonald's All America types coming out of high school. Um, and you know, I remember the, I, I don't, I didn't see Frank Mason in high school. First time I saw him was, uh, was in practice, but the first time I saw him really playing a game was against Duke in the, uh, in the champions classic. And, uh, you know, while the rest of us were, you know, all of us were looking at Wiggins and Parker, he wound up coming out, out of that game. And I was like, who is that? Like that guy was really good. Um, and kind of proved himself in that game, uh, right out of the gate. 
And um, and so, you know, I, I would put them, I would put those two just as a backcourt right there uh, with anybody. I, don't, I can't think of anybody I'd, I'd put above them. Thank you. Up next, we have Paul Banks, followed by um, Jeff from the Indie Scout site. Paul, go ahead. Hi, Jay. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I wanted to get your more in-depth take on the Big Ten race. I know you um, you already covered Michigan State and Indiana, Wisconsin, pretty in-depth. Um, so Purdue could be could kind of jump up there. Where do you see the ceiling for Purdue this year? And uh, Illinois, you mentioned you think will be improved because they're healthy. How I know Illinois has a long way to go, but how far do you think they can move up the uh, scale? Purdue. Purdue and uh, Illinois. Well, Illinois being healthy is a big deal. Um, you know, they're like I think we mentioned before. You know, Caleb Swanigan's back, and and I think he'll be uh, he'll be much better. Um, and then you know, Isaac Haas also. Their guards have to play really well, and uh, and so I don't I don't think I don't think their guard play was great last year. Um, so I think it's going to have to be have to be much better this year. Uh, you know, Vince Edwards, I, I, he's more of a hybrid. I don't know if you call him really a guard, um, uh, more of a wing. But uh, uh, they, they've, got to get, they've got to take care of the ball better, and, uh, and they've got to get uh, better scoring production out of their guards uh, in order to be, you know, sort of a big, big Ten contender. And then, uh, you know, Illinois, I think, could take a big step forward just by being healthy. You know, it's, I, don't, I don't know anybody that's had more problems um, – with with injuries uh, than John Gross has had the last couple of years, uh, it's it's been amazing. And uh, but they've kept plugging. And you know, I, Malcolm Hill is one of the best best players in the country. And so if he if he can kind of you know take that team over and uh, and be the leader and and be the most consistent player, you know, both from a, a leadership and a productivity stand, uh, standpoint. Um, I think they can be really good. And it was really nice. I watched some of their exhibition the other night. It was really nice to see Tr- uh, Tracy Abrams back on the floor again. Um, you know, he, he's another guy. You know, losing all last year to, to injury um, was was rough stuff. And so I'm glad to see him back. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Up next, we have Jeff. Followed by uh, Christian from the Daily Kansas. Uh, Jeff, go ahead. Hey, Jay. Thanks for your time. We really appreciate this. No, me too. It's fun. Um, on, on Indiana, um, when you look at them against Kansas, what would you say are the two or three big keys for them in that specific game? And you mentioned that you've seen their exhibition games. What do you see as IU's strength, and what do you see as maybe IU's biggest weakness that it needs to fix moving forward? Well, Indiana's got um, uh, a good depth, and they've got some really good players. Uh, they've recruited really well, and, God, they play hard, and they play together. Uh, and I think they're offensively uh, – they're a joy to watch. It's got to be a fun way to play because uh, they get the ball up court quickly. They don't have a point guard. So it's, there's not somebody like uh, Yogi Ferrell that you can just give the ball to, and that person's going to run everything. So, uh, you know, their point guard is going to have to be by committee where they can uh, – uh, they can pass the ball ahead, and uh, and the ball the ball can't just stick in one guy's hands and, and have have him run everything, and it does, and it looks like they're they're doing a good job of that. Um, but along with that comes some issues of turnovers, you know, taking care of the ball, and uh, so I think uh, as as simplistic as it sounds, uh, passing and catching is going to be a big deal, and making sure that uh, that they don't cough the ball up and. 
put their defense in a bad spot. Because I actually thought that was, you know, my my take on last year's early season struggles with defense had a lot to do with offense. That um, uh, they were turning the ball over too much, and when that uh, stabilized uh, midway through the season, you know, their defense got a lot better. Now their defense got better. Period. But it also got better because they, they were better with the ball and they weren't putting their defense in, in disadvantaged situations where they'd, they'd give up uh, easy baskets. Um, and then Thomas Bryant, how he plays is going to be a big deal. Like Two guys have to make big jumps for them. Thomas Bryant is one. Uh, he had a really good year last year uh, and, and is capable of even more. And the other is OG Ananobi. Um, you know, he was a player that came in and whatever he gave you last year was a real lift. But I think he's got to do it now, one, expected to do it, and two, have minutes and, and uh, every game. You know, it's got to be every game. And uh, just your thoughts on, on IU versus Kansas. I'm sorry? And just your thoughts on IU versus Kansas. What, what, what would be the big keys if you're looking at Indiana? What would they have to do to – to, to pull that upset. Well, they're going to have to they're going to have to do a really good job of defending uh, the, the the actions that Kansas runs. And Kansas can play big or small. Um, their big guys like to get angles, and they'll, they'll they do a really good job of throwing the ball into the post uh, with an angle. So uh, I think your post defense has to be really good, and then your pressure on the ball has to be good to, to take vision away. And uh, and the other part of that is I think can uh, um, uh, Indiana's going to have to do a really good job, you know, when talking about defense, of turning defense into offense and getting down the floor, whether it's after a miss or a made basket, of getting down the floor and, and getting into transition quickly. And uh, that's what Indiana does. Um, but doing that without turnovers, uh, I think, is going to be really important. Kansas is a little bit more experienced, and especially more experienced at the guard spots. Uh, so it's going to be a real challenge for the first game of the year. But, uh, but both these teams are, are capable of being in, in Arizona at the end of the year uh, for the Final Four. Um, I think Kansas is probably a little bit, uh, a little bit ahead right now of, uh, of Indiana because of their experience level. But, uh, but I, I, I think it's going to be a, a great game. I'm really excited to see it. Thanks, Thank Jeff. you, Jay. Up next is Christian from the Daily Kansas, followed by Christopher from the Daily Wildcat. Um, appreciate everyone's time. We're making our way through the list, and appreciate your patience. Go ahead, Christian. Hi, Jay. I, I'm, I'm going to kind of zoom out on the scope here, um, and I want to talk about Coach K real quick. Just uh, You've been around Duke, or you've been around college basketball as long as Coach K has, obviously, at this point. Um, how, how have you seen, I guess, him how have you seen him change that program and how have you seen him as a person obviously have a great relationship with him how have you seen him change through these through these 30 some years um he's been a duke well um a few things haven't changed um one is his uh sort of his his core values and and principles um those are very much the same now as they were when i played for him back in the early to mid 80s um, so that hasn't changed at all. Uh, the, the, the way he goes about things and the, the, the principles that he, he values. Uh, the other thing that hasn't changed is his hair color. Uh, that's, remained, that's remained the same uh, for all this time. But everything else has changed. Um, he's a, and, and I say this not with any sort of lament or jealousy or anything, but he's a much better coach now than when I played for him. And, uh, and I'm actually uh, 
pleased and impressed by that, that he he always seems to get better and better. And uh, so the players that are playing now are playing for a better coach than J.J. Redick played for in 2006, and they're playing for a better coach than uh, – uh, you know, Steve Wojciechowski played for in, in the, the mid-90s, and they're playing for a better coach than I played for. And um, uh, so, that, and that's that's pretty impressive that he continues to, to get better and he continues to change with the uh, uh, the changing times. That he's not he's not sort of stuck in in his ways as is you know stereotypical of uh, of a guy who's closer to the end of his career than the beginning. Um, so he's evolved as the game's evolved, and he's figured out ways to win uh, throughout the whole uh, the whole evolution of the game. Um, you know, there was no shot clock back when he started. There was no three-point shot back when he started, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I played – there was no three-point shot when I played. And uh, and he's continued to recruit at the same level. He had a number one recruiting class in the 80s, he's, and he's had them in every decade since. So that hasn't changed um, uh, as far as the, the results. But the consistency has been remarkable, and he's had to sort of adapt and change the way he's approached things. He's much different. His offense is totally different now than he used to be. Um, his defensive principles have, have adjusted and changed a bit. Um, uh, but uh, nothing has changed in the uh, sort of the, the core principles that he has as to how things are to be done. Uh, uh, th- that's exactly the same. When you say uh, when you say corporate when you say core principles, uh, what what uh, what what are, what are some things that come to mind from that perspective that you learned from him? I well, guess, just the uh, standards that you have, you know, the the uh, being on time, um, looking everybody in the eye when you have something to say, um, being being uh, uh, able to give and accept criticism and and act upon it without you know sort of taking it the wrong way, um, you know, principle of the next play. That uh, no matter what happens, your your focus has to be on the next play. You know, we can debrief later on. We can't do it right now. We gotta we gotta move on, and uh, you know, stand in the moment, um, uh, which is another way of saying concentrate on what's in front of you instead of things that can distract you from from doing things the right way. Um, and he's always been very into uh, fundamental. You know, sort of the fundamentals, like you know, breaking things down to their essence and 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 keeping them, making the complicated simple. Um, you know, m- most coaches are really good at making things complicated, and he he may be best at taking the complicated and making it simple. And uh, um, but you know, those those are among the the what I'm what I mean when I'm talking about values and principles. But um, you know, just because your your offensive philosophy may change or you know the the X and O portion or strategic uh, uh, strategic things may change. Your your core values of how you go about things don't change, and 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 he certainly hasn't changed. Like he, he's not the same guy. A lot of times people try to give someone compliment by saying, "Well, he's the same guy he was 20 years ago." Well, Coach K is not the same guy he was 20 years ago, and uh, he's got the same values, but he's not the same guy, and uh, and he's way better than he was 20 years ago. And uh, and I think that's kind of cool. And uh, and one thing, you know, I'm rambled on and on about this, but one thing that that I found really interesting, like in 2015 when they won the championship, uh, uh, he got into his press conference afterwards and he said, "This has been my favorite year, and this has been my favorite team." And I started thinking about that. That you know, guys that played for him might say, well, "Wait a minute, now we're we're pretty good. We weren't up there." 
you know, what about what about us? Or um, you know, our year was pretty good. And I took from that 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 holy cow, like a, a guy who's 68 or 69 years old, whatever he was at the time, can have his favorite year, can have his best year, and uh, uh, you know that that kind of that kind of thing really sort of inspired me that. You know, as you as you you keep going, that your best years aren't uh, may very well be in front of you, and he's had a lot of his best years when other people would would be rolling downhill. He's continued to to plug away. Jay, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Sorry Thanks. to ramble so long. <laughs> Thanks, Christian. <laughs> Up next is Christopher from the Daily Wildcat, followed by Ben White. Christopher, go ahead. Hey, Jay. You were mentioning that um, you see Arizona as an improved defense. How do you see them improving? They don't really have any true wing players. So how does the loss of Ray Smith sort of affect them on offense, and why do you think they're going to improve? They don't have any true wing players? Without Ray, they've been starting three. They started three guards um, every lineup in all their exhibition games. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're going to count Ray as a wing, you know, like do it that way, yeah, that may be true. Um, but you know, like you, you call Alonzo a wing if he comes back. He's okay, Alonzo six five, six six, and right. um, so w- the reason I say that is they're way more athletic uh, than they were last year. Like Kobe Simmons is is really athletic. Uh, Raleigh Aikens is really athletic. Um, you know, and and I think Parker Jackson Cartwright has gotten stronger. He's still small, but he's gotten stronger. And then Kadeem Allen uh, played a lot of point last year. He'll he'll probably wind up playing more of the two. Um, so last year they struggled to defend. Um, they, they weren't as athletic defending. Um, you know, Gabe York wasn't an athletic defender. Uh, so they, they weren't as athletic as they had been, you know, obviously the year before they had NBA draft picks that were garden. Um, so it was less about their position and more about their athleticism. Is that what you mean, like sort of Stanley Johnson and uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson type wings? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry, I, I misunderstood uh, where you're coming from, but – I think it's more, or at least from from my seat. I, I'm th- when I said that, I was thinking. Sorry, I wasn't clear about it. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm talking more about athleticism rather than uh, necessarily the the long wings that they had before. I mean, you'd love to have that. I don't think anybody turned down Rondé Hollis Jefferson or Stanley Johnson, but you can't always have those guys. But they're they're far more. I think uh, uh, they're far more athletic, and I think they'll get back to being a much better defensive team this year. Yeah, and, and talking about Trier. If he's out, how much does that affect the Pac-12? Do you see it as him? If he plays, Arizona wins, and if he's out, they don't have a chance in the Pac-12? Is he that big of an impact for them? I wouldn't say don't, don't have a chance. I mean, I think Oregon's the best team in the league, um, and then uh, you know Arizona uh, will, will challenge Oregon. Um, but without Trier, it takes away, a, takes away a, an all-conference scorer. So if he doesn't play, uh, then you have one less guy that can – they can get baskets, and uh, and that's that obviously affects everything. I mean, Alonzo Trier should be their leading scorer if he plays. He's their leading scorer, I think. So uh, uh, yeah, that would be a that would be a big blow. Any any team that lost that would lose somebody that that could lead them in scoring, uh, that would be a difficult difficult thing to overcome as far as staying as good as you expected to be otherwise. And then just last on the for the game on Friday night, what do you expect to see in the matchup between uh, Lowry Markin and Miles Bridges? Well, I don't, you know, I don't know they'll guard each other, uh, although Markkinen's very versatile because Markkinen's almost seven feet tall, uh, and Bridges is, uh, is more, of a, more of a three that can play the four in, in sort of a small ball situation. Miles Bridges is, is going to be one of the four or five most 
spectacular, uh, you know, finishers in, in basketball this year. Um, you know, they can throw it up to him, lobs, whatever. He can, he, he can, he finishes above, above the rim players. Um, so, you know, he, he's going to be, he can hurt his elbow when he's dunking. He gets up so high. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be a blast watching those guys. Um, both those teams are, are very good defensively and they both, they both protect the paint very effectively. Um, although Michigan State doesn't necessarily play a pack line defense, they do protect the elbow and the block. So it's got a lot of similar principles. And uh, and you know Arizona's been playing the pack line forever under under Sean. So um, yeah, I think you know getting getting baskets is going to be a, a, at a premium um, against the, both these teams, and, and rebounding is going to be a big deal too. Uh, because you know I'm not expecting uh, uh, I'm not expecting high percentages to be uh, to be shot from the floor by either team. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Jay. Thank you. Everybody, drop off the call after my coach can't answer. Whoops, I was on mute. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Everybody um, just quit after listening and go on and on about that. Up next is Ben from Scout Recruiting, followed by Jeremy from 24-7 Sports. Up, go ahead, Ben. Hey, Jay. I was just curious your thoughts on the Pac-12 in general and maybe what Oregon's going to do this year, returning four out of five guys. And from a recruiting aspect, if they've really turned the corner compared to the last couple of years, and where do you see that conference panning out in the next uh, few years or so? Well, I think the Pac-12 is kind of back um, now. I mean, it, it, um, it, I know they haven't, said, they haven't won a title since Arizona or something. It's been 19 years, whatever it is. But uh, but having a team like uh, uh, like Oregon that you know traditionally hasn't been one of the one of the best teams in the league, uh, I think is really helpful for for the Pac-12. And then um, you know I think UCLA is going to be back uh, this year because you know they got a really good recruiting class coming back, and Lonzo Ball can move Bryce Alford off the ball, and he can be more of a a scorer only. Um, and and they've got good wing. You know, Isaac Hamilton's a really good player. They're bringing in T.J. Leaf. Uh, they got Thomas Welsh back, who's a uh, one of the best sort of mid-range shooting big guys uh, in the country. So UCLA will go from being a team that last year kind of surprisingly uh, fell off in the second half of the year to a team that I think will be good from start to finish this year. Um, and then, but but that means the rest of the league has to has to continue to improve. They've had a lot of coaching changes. So I think US, this, this USC has got to perform this year at a higher level. Uh, I think Cal's got, you know, they've got Ivan Rabb, but Cal's got to play at a high level um, uh, in, in order for the league to be, uh, to be good across the board. You know, Washington's got a great player in Markel Fultz, but are they going to, they had two first round draft picks last year and didn't make the tournament. So they got to, I think that's where the league needs to make a jump is uh, sort of middle, middle down has to, has to raise the level. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Up next is Jeremy, followed by, uh, I believe it's Errol from Sports Shop Radio. Jeremy? Jeremy, you still on? No? Okay, we'll move on to uh, Errol from Sports Shop Radio, followed by Tyler Thompson from Kentucky Sports Radio. Go ahead. Hey, Jay, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing sports radio, Robert Durham. Uh, I interviewed Coach uh, Godfrey from NC State. 
a couple of weeks ago. He talked about his prized recruit, uh, Dennis Smith, senior and I mean, junior, and saying that uh, Dennis Smith will be the not only the best freshman coming to the, to college basketball this year, but the best guard overall in in the country. I was surprised by that comment. Your comments on that? I love it. Um, I like that kind of that kind of confidence that a coach expresses in a player. And you know, Dennis Smith is really talented and and a really good basketball player. So I'm not I'm not surprised at that um, because I do think he's a he's an NBA he's an NBA player, an NBA talent. Um, you're just in a league right now that's got you know guys like Harry Giles and Jason Tatum and you know guys like that. And uh, uh, so there are some players that were higher rated, um, but uh, but. You know, Dennis is a really, really talented player, and the ball is going to be in his hands, and he's going to score a ton of points. I think he's going to raise the level of the players around him because he's more of a distributor. He can get the ball to other people uh, perhaps a little bit better than Cat Barber did. Um, so I'm, I, that, that doesn't, it doesn't shock me that, that Mark said that, but I, I, I love hearing stuff like that. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you. Up next is Tyler from Kentucky Sports Radio, followed by Greg from WSON. Tyler, go ahead. And Tyler has disconnected. Okay, Greg from WSON, followed by Clayton from Kentucky Sports TV. Greg Greg. has also disconnected. Okay. As well as Clayton. (laughs) All right, what about John from Nolan Media? It was a lot of fun. I have a question about scheduling. In your conversations with uh, coaches of major programs around the country, have you found that they would prefer to just play a series of cupcakes uh, to start the season? Or do you think any of them would rather play some legitimate contenders right out of the gate and see where they stand? I think they'd like a mix. Most of the coaches of of better, better teams want their teams challenged and to find out where they may need to improve. And they're also doing it for recruiting. Because uh, the truth is, players don't want to play games against bad teams. Um, you know, I, I, every player that's ever played is, is, you know, nobody, you know, nobody tells stories about the great games that they had against, uh, you know, these directional schools where they win by 50. Um, that's not the way the that's not the way that works. What, what coaches want, they certainly want wins, um, but they want to get, they have to have some home games to make their to make money. And uh, and they don't want to overdo it, where they schedule too many teams that that can beat them up, to where they're gonna, um, you know, they're gonna lose confidence. They're not gonna, um, you know, sort of not put themselves in a position to uh, to make the tournament because they're non-conference schedule, things like that. So it's a, it's kind of an art form in that regard. But uh, but there are some there are some coaches out there that would rather play, you know, teams they know they're gonna beat. And then rely on their conference schedule to get them into the tournament, um, but they're they're few and far between. Most most coaches want to have a balance, and uh, um, you know I think you talk to if you talk to Tom Izzo right now, he'd probably tell you that he overscheduled his team a little bit, um, and and Rick Pitino would tell you he definitely overscheduled his team a little bit. But I think those guys always wind up erring on the side of making their schedule a little too hard rather than too easy. 
John Calipari always talks about ways to make the preseason better, more exciting in his mind. Just recently, he's he's mentioned the possibility of playing basketball in August or maybe extending the exhibition season to where uh, programs like Kentucky and Duke can just get together and play. He's talked about moving the SEC tournament to the preseason. Does he just like giving the media something to write about, or do you think there's any legitimacy to, to, to any of these ideas? There is legitimacy to some of them. Um, you know, all the ideas are, are, are good to bring forth that, um, you know, I've never heard an idea I didn't want to talk about just because, you know, it helps you test your theories on the game. I will tell you that I think that college basketball needs to uh, get with the times. I mean, it took us 20 years to start um, uh, to improve our rules to where, you know, we, we, uh, we got back to freedom of movement and we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, we, we had 20 years of total inattention to the game and how it was being played. And, uh, and so now we're, we're doing a much better job of that. And we saw the, the fruits of that last year where scoring went way up. It was a much, much better game last year. It's still not where we need it to be, but it, it got a lot better really quickly. Um, I think one of the things we, that, that we do, uh, college basketball-wise, we, we, we have to acknowledge we compete with football, but we're not, you know, we can't outdo football. Um, but one of the things we, that I think is incumbent upon us that we need to do a much better job of is we need to start moving conference games uh, into December and, and early December, and we need to move some of our better intersectional games, our better non-conference matchups, move them to where they're properly scheduled uh, in January and February so that we're playing our, more of our marquee games when people are paying, you know, people are watching more. And once football is over, there's a, there's a much bigger audience for college basketball. And, uh, and we have to take advantage of that and schedule when people are watching instead of continuing to schedule and, and, and hope they watch uh, at a time when, when it's been proven to us that they, they don't pay quite as much attention, the average fan. Um, uh, so, you know, we can certainly do those things, uh, but I think playing conference games earlier and then building some of these intersectional games into schedules like the, uh, like we did last year with, uh, Kansas and Kentucky, where they played on January 27th last year, or that the rest of the big 12, uh, FCC challenge that was played in the middle of their conference games and, and college basketball and those leagues were better for it. Um, and, uh, and I think we can do that on a much larger scale, and all of a sudden college basketball will be much better. Okay, thanks, Jay. Appreciate your insight as always. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for uh, asking. All right. Up next we have Tim from WLAP Radio, followed by Zach from the Sports Junkies. Tim, go ahead. Do we lose Tim? Okay. Tim, your line is open. Tim, are you there? Okay, we'll take Zach from Sports Junkies, followed by Bill from 700WLW. Zach, go ahead. Hi, Jay. Hey, in regards to, like, uh, some of the smaller schools being in the top 25, like St. Mary's, Creighton, Rhode Island, do you see any of those teams uh, potentially staying there towards the end of the season? Maybe one of them have a Wichita State-type moment or anything like that? Could be. Um, we haven't seen it from, uh, from them in the past. I mean, Creighton is now a, a Big East team. And so what used to be sort of we would we would refer to as a mid-major, you know, the Big East is is not mid-major, but they've got really good guards. And, uh, you know, Maurice Watson is, is back again. He's one of the best guards in the country. And they've got uh, Marcus Foster, who transferred in from Kansas State. So that gives them 
that gives them two really good guards. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I do think you mentioned – tell me who else you mentioned. Uh, St. Mary's in Rhode Island. Yeah, St. Mary's can shoot it. Um, you know, their problem in the past has been, uh, you know, they, they hadn't made the tournament because of their schedule. Uh, they're not conference schedule, but, uh, but you know, they've got guys that can really shoot and spread the floor. Um, so I think they'll be – and they've, they've had a lot of Australian kids there that have played really well for them. Uh, so they'll challenge Gonzaga uh, in their league. And, uh, and, but how they perform in the non-conference it will have a lot to do with sort of where they wind up in the tournament. Um, that, that's that's a, an important factor. I'll tell you another team that you didn't mention. Davidson, I think, is going to be really good. Uh, they've got a kid named Jack Gibbs who could wind up leading the Atlantic 10 in scoring. And, uh, and they've got solid big guys. And Bob McKillop's one of the, one of the handful of the best coaches in the country offensively. So uh, I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised to see Davidson really uh, really do a good job. And you mentioned Rhode Island. I mean, you know, I think they would have been pretty darn good last year, but EC Matthews got hurt, and so they got him back. And then uh, Hassan Adams is one of the best defensive big guys in the country. So um, they've got the pieces to be to be really good. Making the Final Four, you know, is a little bit different. You know, if you look at it. at the way the tournament has gone over the last several years. And some of this is cyclical, and some of this has to do with, I think, the way the game is headed and sort of the, the evolution of, of college basketball and how it's working. But, I mean, you're not seeing very many non-major conference teams play into the second weekend of the tournament. They are, uh, uh, you know, they, they're, they're still upsets, but we're not, seeing it. we're not seeing, you know, like only 12 major conference teams and then four mid-majors in the, in the uh, Sweet 16. I think last year it was 15-1, and one, and the one was Gonzaga. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's not been as easy to, uh, uh, you know, to pull off a couple of wins in the tournament for the, the smaller conference teams. It's, it seems like it's getting harder than ever. Thank you. Great. Up next is Bill from 700 WLW, followed by Brian Pollock from the Duke Chronicle, and then Brandon Dixon from Curtis Media, and then uh, that should be it. Bill, go ahead. Yes, ma'am. I, thank you, uh, Jay. I just wanted to ask you about uh, the uh, here in the uh, uh, tri-state uh, Xavier, uh, the University of Cincinnati, Dayton, and Miami. This area big in uh, college basketball, of course. Uh, with uh, Louisville and Kentucky to the south and Ohio State and Indiana. But uh, what about uh, those uh, couple teams here around the tri-state? Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that? You want me to start with Xavier? Yeah, go ahead. Um, Xavier's top ten good. Uh, you know, I know that uh, that Miles Davis um, has been suspended, but, you know, Trayvon Blewett, Edmund Sumner, they've got, they've got some very talented guards. And uh, and they've got they've got size, um, you know, good got good big guys. You know, Sean O'Mara's back, and um, they can shoot it. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, to see Xavier, you know, in the Sweet 16 again, maybe even beyond. Uh, you know, it took a, a corner three by um, who was a Bronson Koenig last year to beat them. Uh, I thought they were capable of being in the Final Four last year. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I think Cincinnati's got a, a really good team again. Um, you know, they play – Cincinnati plays consistently as hard as anybody I see. Uh, you know, Mick Cronin has built a, a great culture there, and, uh, uh, you know, Troy Copain is one of the best guards in the country. Uh, so I, I think they'll be, they'll be an NCAA tournament team again uh, and, and will challenge UConn uh, for the, the American and who else you mentioned? Ohio State, or what else were you talking about? Uh, Dayton and Miami. 
Yeah, Dayton's another good team. I, I probably should have talked about Dayton before, uh, you know, with uh, some of that stuff about, you know, uh, Dayton's not a mid-major anymore. It used to be, I guess, but you're in the Atlantic 10 now, so that's no longer no longer mid-major stuff. But, um, you know, Dayton has, uh, I think with Charles Cook back, um, you know, Archie Miller's got a really good team, and uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them see them do just as well this year uh, as they uh, they did last year, uh, maybe even better. Um, you know, a lot of it has to do with uh, with how some of the younger guys come along. Um, um, but I, I like their team a lot, and um, you know, I think Scoochie Smith will, will have another good year. So, and Kendall Pollard was a guy I liked when he was a freshman. And I can't believe he's a senior now. Um, so, I, I, I like that team a lot. Thank you very much. All right. I think that's it for today. Jay, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And we'll see you soon. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, everyone.